Today on the Kyle and Kasanoff Show, we start with the Edmonton Oilers firing Peter Shirelli. We hit the NBA All-Star Game. Voting controversy? Then we get to James Harden's historic points run. Plus, we talk AFC-NFC Championship Game quick review and a Super Bowl preview. Stick around. All right, and welcome back to the Kyle and Kasanoff Show. It has been a long, long time, but it feels so good to be back in the studio. How do you feel, Kyle? Oh, it's so great to be back. Happy New Year, everyone. I know it's a little bit late, but we haven't been on the air since, I want to say, the middle of December, so it's been quite over a month now. So much has happened recently. Um, But first, I know you love hockey. We don't talk about it enough. We're going to get into a little bit of it. The top story right now, the Edmonton Oilers, this just went live yesterday? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. They fired general manager Peter Shirelli after three seasons. Three Matt, and a, yeah. Matt, your thoughts. Okay. Here's what I want to say about this. I have a lot of respect for Peter Shirelli, you know, and, and everyone in the hockey community does. But the reality of what happened in Edmonton was that they took a look at the way the game was going, which was getting smaller, faster, more skilled, and they said, well, what if we just did the exact opposite of that and we got slower, heavier, less skilled? Do you think we're going to win? And maybe – so someone put it best on Twitter. I forget who it was, but they said this was like the biggest swing of them all. This was like bases loaded, like th- you know, two outs, bottom of the ninth, like two strikes. And like if you don't hit the home run and win the World Series, like you die. Mm-hmm. Like – this was like one of those caliber swings of because you could see a world like in his defense you could see a world where you got heavier slower all this stuff a little bit and you played like big boy hockey as it's sometimes called in a world where everyone was you know you know 511 instead of when everyone used to be 63 and you really did bully them i i guess i could kind of see where that's going but at the same time my other thinking is that like when you see a school of fish swimming away from danger, and you're like, nah, man, danger's cool, you're probably wrong. But Matt, people will say, you know, he drafted Connor McDavid, so it wasn't a complete loss for the franchise. Yeah, but Watson could have drafted Connor McDavid. Like, a computer could have got that one right. Like, there's never, hardly, I don't want to say never, there's hardly ever been a more consensus number one pick that was so right. I mean, even other consensus number one picks will look like bad picks in history because, you know, someone comes around and was better at, you know, 10, 15, the third round, whatever, from that draft. And, like, that's just the way the cookie crumbles and everyone says, oh, why couldn't you have seen it? Like, to credit that to Peter Shirelli is a little ridiculous. And you know that. No, of course. And I think think also people need to talk about, like, he did trade away Taylor Hall, last year's Hart Trophy winner, for basically nothing in, in, in Adam Larson. It's not basically nothing, uh, but I... Compared to what Taylor Hall is. Compared to what Taylor Hall is. It's the question of, you know, when you're you're in that chair, your your goal is problem solving, right? So when he was was there, you know, in that first season, you had Taylor Hall, you had Connor McDavid, who who missed half the year because of injury, and you had a group that really needed defense and it really needed goaltending, right? He addressed the goaltending. So he got Cam, he got Cam Talbot, and that was great. 
for until it wasn't. And now it's maybe not so great anymore. But the problem occurred when he created new problems, trying to solve old problems, as opposed to sol- just solving problems. Like if you, if like you're like, man, this wall is really in the way of my view of the living room, and you just knock it down, and now like you've got no structural support in your house, and you're like, uh oh, I just created a new problem, but I solved one. It, did you actually solve any problems? No. Exactly. So that that's kind of the Euler situation. And Taylor Hall, by the way, from people who, who are, are well acquainted with that situation, basically after the trade deadline that first year, they basically said, we're in evaluation mode, we're going to evaluate everyone, and we're going to make decisions based on that. And they chose to not uh, – They he kind of had a bad 20 games or so. And – they chose to trade him based off that brief performance, despite the fact that he is a career's body of work as a pretty good player. And if nothing else, like even if it was Adam Larson plus, maybe you could justify it. If it was Adam Larson like plus a first round pick, even if that first round pick's not influential, you can kind of say like, well, he didn't get nothing, right? Like he got something and well, then you blame how they've been historically bad at drafting for almost 15 years for not right. producing, which also falls on him, but maybe less of the blame. On this him. is a team that has basically no depth under his under his tenure. Like they have, they have a good top line. They have McDavid. Yep. They have how do you pronounce this guy? Leon Drysaddle. He plays Dreisaitl. alongside McDavid. Drysaddle, a solid player. He's got what 27 goals this year, something like yep. that. Um, Nugent Hopkins is a consistent player. He's second line, though, isn't he? Yep, he was the second uh, line. I remember that from playing NHL. I'm a, I'm a big NHL yeah. player. I know the name. Okay, very uh, but, good. But, I mean, really, after that, there's very little production, like, across all the lines, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. So, so the top five scorers on the on the uh, Oilers, the three we mentioned, plus uh, defenseman uh, Darnell Nurse and right wing Alex Chason, they both have 24 points. And those top five players have 228 points, right? The rest of the roster, as in everyone who's ever played a game this season, is basically, sorry, not basically, is at 144 points. And the next highest point score has 15 points, and that's Jujar Kyra, who is a fourth-line player at best. A, a good fourth-line player, but not. it's it's just... the The real problem is... Where do you go from here? If you're the new GM, the next one, which they haven't named yet, they said, uh, Bob Nicholson said, uh, we're not going to be in a real rush to get a general manager. We have to get the, we have to get the right one. And that takes us some time because we have to look at, the part, at all parts of this organization. You know, so be it. It's interesting, though, that we talk about, like, where do we go from here? Because we, it, it might sound like we're talking about a team that's tanking currently, but this team is three points away from a playoff spot. They could push, like, the deadline is approaching, right? The trade deadline is is at the end of February. It, it's the it, it's you know in the next month, and this is a team that could potentially be a move away from a playoff spot this year. If, exactly, if that's the direction that that they choose to go, I, or they could be sellers. I think it was Bob McKenzie who tweeted this, or I don't I don't really want to attribute it to him because a little more, um, it's a little more crass than he typically is. But I saw it on Twitter from a hockey guy who basically said. Right now, the Western Conference is five teams and a bag of hammers. Like, Accurate. It, and the Oilers, you know, maybe they're going to be the lightest hammer, and they're not going to sink as deep. Right, exactly. But Anything can happen in the playoffs. It's, it's kind of like, imagine if, like, 
I would I would relate the Oilers to the Browns if like the Browns went like eight and eight and just missed the playoffs. You know, like but that's the, the worst spot to be in if you're a franchise, though. It is. You don't have it, a high draft pick, mm-hmm. and you can't play for the championship. It's the worst. It's no, but it's doubly worse spot to have the negative connotation of this is a dumpster fire, right? Right. Like the whereas Oil- the Browns, I see them going eleven and five next year. The Oilers, I don't see them really improving on this record next year. Well, at the, all. the problem for the Oilers, by the way, is that so like Connor McDavid, who has the largest contract in NHL history and probably undervalued, right? It, just based on his value to the Oilers. He signed that deal after a 100-point season. He won the scoring title, and the Oilers lost in Game 7 of the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and things looked good. They had a great goalie. Well, they had a goalie, at least, who turned in a great season. Uh, uh, Leon Dreisaitl was actually really the— was probably the best player for the Oilers in that playoff. He had, um, uh, sorry, 16 points in 13 playoff games that year, and— you know, any when it looked like they were down, he came right back. Like that looked like they came into the following season, that 17-18 season, as one of the odds-on favorites to win the Stanley Cup. They missed the playoffs. Now they look like How a dumpster they've fire. They fa- they fired their coach. They fired their GM. And the real thing, I was listening to uh, to TSN 1050, the the morning sports show in uh, Toronto this morning. And, as one does. Yeah, as one does. If you love hockey. And I, and I heard a, a, a radio hit with Darren Dreger who said, you know, you better believe that uh, this situation in Edmonton is going to have some star players possibly reevaluating whether or not they want to sign max term deals. Because, yeah, there's a lot of security, but you got to believe, like, want to better believe that for eight years, it's going to be a good situation. He's stuck here for what, six more years? Seven. It's been- it's been what one year? It's, this is his Hello? first year of his new deal. Okay. It's his fourth year with the Oilers, and uh, while Connor McDavid, you know, he was asked by a very brave reporter, he said like, "When are you going to just be fed up and done?" And he said, "All I'm going to say about it is I'm here to be part of the solution." And so very captainly, very you know good. But I mean, this is a guy who, when he was in juniors, uh, like he. When he was in juniors, he had to – his dad would have to drive down to Erie, Pennsylvania, where he was playing and basically, like, talk him off the ledge almost. Like, obviously, that's an exaggeration because when he first got to Erie, the team was so bad and he hated losing, like, more than anything. Wait, Erie, this is the AHL affiliate of the Oilers? No, this is the his junior hockey team, like, before he was drafted. Oh, okay. His dad used to have to drive down from, from Toronto – to like talk to like be like calm down like you'll turn around and then he went on to make Erie one of the biggest names in the OHL like and you know they got Alex DeBrinkett they got Connor Brown they have you know a a bunch of guys who are you know top NHL players have come out of there and like he was really the lead of that so he knows what it's like to go into a bad situation but he also knows what it's like to go into a bad situation and come out on the right side and that has not happened well, obviously the jury is still out on this one. You know, this is, you know, perhaps with this new GM, whoever, you know, this yet-to-be-named person is, I, can turn this around. But I do just want to take a second, though, to talk about, like, what to do from here. And Bob Nicholson mentioned in his press conference, and he said, you know, we're going to let players get over— Bob Nicholson, if, the, if for those of you who don't know, is the CEO of the Oilers. Yes, who's going to be in charge of hiring the next GM. He said, 
we've rushed development of players, you know, when we've drafted them. He goes, instead of forcing them into an NHL lineup, we want to let them get overripe in the AHL. That's actually, that's a check mark. If the Oilers stick to that plan, they're going to be great. It, like, that is a, a recipe to success, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The question, there's some questions as to will, whether or not they'll be able to stick to it to the, due to, like, the complete dearth of talent on right. the NHL roster. Right. But if I am that GM, like, I, the only thing I could say is that it's about drafting, drafting, drafting. Come, I would be taking a hard look at, this, that, at my scouting staff and my scouting system maybe how much I'm looking into analytics and things like that that are available because it's reported they basically don't even consider that in Edmonton, which I'm sure is exaggerated, but I would be I would be seriously considering all options because even though they could make the playoffs and Connor McDavid asked the media to focus on that, so Connor, you could make the playoffs, <laughs> but it looks dire. Mm-hmm. And it but at the same time the next GM will surely want to take that job because who could turn down Connor McDavid? And uh, we'll be sure to stay on top of this story. Maybe they'll even hire a new GM in season and we'll talk about it. But that is going to end our hockey talk. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. And when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. <laughs> Care to expand on that? I just woke up feeling real dangerous. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the Kyle and Kasanoff Show. We're talking NBA, and we're starting with some uh, all-star tomfoolery. How do you, or, you know, uh, maybe some smudges in the math? Some guys who uh, are not starting who maybe should have been. Yeah, I know. Like, we're gonna bring this up because the NBA All-Star starters were announced yesterday, and it's pretty much all the usual suspects. You have Curry, you have Harden, you have Durant, you have LeBron. Except Paul LeBron George. is in the other conference now. You, you, Normally, you see the West versus LeBron, essentially, as it has been for the last few years, at least. And then in the East, you have you know Kyrie, you have Kawhi, who obviously has switch conferences as well, but he's usually in there. Um, Giannis, Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and surprise starter, Kemba Walker, I will say. But in the West, I think, is really where it gets interesting, because LeBron is starting, but should LeBron even be considered for an all-star spot, period? Because he hasn't played for the last, what... 15, 20 games. He's missed half the season practically. Um, I, I don't think he should really be eligible. Obviously, he's putting up a, a yawn LeBron kind of season, but his team isn't even in a playoff spot at the season ended today. Obviously, he's been out for a while, but they weren't exactly the top of the heap with him either. Um, and then also, m- m- mainly, I want to talk about in terms of snubs, like, I, I don't think it really matters because I think these are two players who could get in as reserves anyway. Luka Doncic and Derek Rose. Mm-hmm. Derek Rose was, um, I believe he was 300 or 400,000 votes ahead of um, of Harden. He at was the last second update. in the West at he the last update. He was second in the West. Two guards were selected. He, he was second. 300,000 votes ahead of Harden when it came out when the second update came out roughly 10 days ago, I want to say. And somehow, conveniently for the NBA, because Harden's obviously, the, he's obviously the better player, the bigger star at the moment, at least. Um, Harden ends up taking it. Conveniently, they don't announce as well, they don't announce what the final vote totals were. They just announced who's starting, essentially. And then similarly, Luka Doncic for the forward slot, he was 500,000 votes ahead of Durant for that final front court spot. Um, and 
again, conveniently for the NBA, Durant wins. And it's, it's a what could have been, I guess. I, I, honestly, I was hoping for a Doncic and Derrick Rose starting in, in the West. I think that would have been a great storyline. I'd just like to say this about like just who needs to see Harden and Durant again well I was just gonna say as a message to sports fans all-star games are not real they are marketing events they appease sponsors they're popularity contests and they're very no no they're very important for that reason because you know the leagues we all love so much they spin around because of events like these which appease sponsors and all this stuff but to anyone who thinks that like it's a real thing and like it's a merit thing or anything like that it's just not true. I mean, it really isn't. But honestly, I see the one. All All-Star games are dumb, and I think this is nice that we're talking about this now because the Pro Bowl is in two days, the dumbest of them all. Um, really, the NFL should not have a Pro Bowl. Like, what is the purpose of it? It's, think, it's at the end of the season, which is weird. Um, it used to be somewhat good because it was before the Super Bowl, so it was like that in-between weekend. Uh, I, I'm sorry. It used to be, obviously, now, mm-hmm, now that's the case. Yeah. It used to be after the Super Bowl. Um, so we had the players who were in the Super Bowl sometimes come out for the Pro Bowl at the end. Um, so that was kind of cool. But now you have, like, it's a bunch of, like, Dak Prescott is playing for the NFC. Okay, on what planet is he even a top 15 quarterback in the NFL? And you, and you always get it like that. Like, Andy Dalton somehow slides in every every few years. And Andy Dalton's no good. He's pedestrian. Ryan Tannehill, I think, has made it once or twice. Um, you have Dak Prescott in there now. Well, I like the idea. Here's what I like of, like, all-star rosters for the— like that are voting on for the NFL. I think that because it's assignment, right, there's not voting, and it's just like it's just like these are the pro bowlers, I think that that's a, actually a more accurate reflection of like the top talent. Like in the NHL, for example, Mitch Marner, I think, is like seventh well, in well, the Well, the pro bowl in the NFL is still voted on by the fans. Oh, it is. Sorry. Yes. I did not think it was. Never mind. Yes. Yes, you can still vote. Um but yeah, I agree that like initially at least, I think that I think the top talent is there. But b- because of players who pull out, like you end up with m- essentially middle of the road talent at a lot of positions. The NHL, by the way, did what's probably the worst and most stupid combination. They did this year vote for captains, right? Yeah. Then they assigned the rest of the rosters and then they did another vote for last man in. Like of the snubbed people, they, like, put, like, six of them in, like, a vote for, like, who could get in still. And you know who the real winners were? Who? Anyone who didn't get in and got to spend their five <laughs> days in the Bahamas. Right, exactly. Because, like, whereas the Pro Bowl, like, it's at the end of the year, mm-hmm. obviously. But, like, the other seasons, it's, like, what I really want to go to, I mean, like, obviously, like, the Pro Bowl is in Orlando. Would I ever want to go to Orlando? Nope. Ever? For any reason? No. It used to be in Hawaii, so back then... That was cool. Might have actually considered going. Now that it's in Orlando, like, why, why NFL is it in Orlando? Who, what is the merit of having it there? I, I get it's it's the largest stadium in in the U.S. that is not a either an NFL or or... Nor does it have a major college tenant, which is, I guess, it's just kind of sitting there waiting to host the Pro Bowl... But I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. Like, if you're trying to entice players to go, have it in Hawaii. Have it in Hawaii. But, like, why am I, why am I sitting here making an argument for the Pro Bowl? At the end of the day, who really cares? No one's going to watch. Um, but, yeah, all-star games are dumb. Actually, no, a- MLB is fun because you well, can't. Well, because they do have the home run derby. I mean, you're, like, you can't half-ass baseball. 
You know what I'm saying? Like basketball and in, in football and, and even hockey, like you're like you can slack off on defense, but there really isn't any of that in baseball because defense is one of the most fun parts of it. You know, like like chasing down grounders yeah. and fly balls. But like, um, but surely like the pitchers don't go all out. They go all. If you ever seen baseball, they go all out. Max Scherzer last year, he was. Sc- it was like watching Maria Sharapova play tennis. He was screaming on every pitch, throwing it 100 miles an hour. He never throws 100 miles an hour. They go all out because they know that they're only in there for like one inning. So they just go all out. It's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I like the baseball all-star game. I do. But I'm, I'm selfish. Okay. Should, should we bring it back to back to, you know, back to basketball? reality here? Yeah. Back to the sports that matter. Okay. Uh James Harden is on like a, an unreal tear. Actually, I think we need to go on on the air right now and say that the shutdown is over as of as of air right now. Just thought we'd break that. You you heard it here first. If you uh, if you hear it elsewhere, it is actually over. So uh, the government good, shutdown. Good for them. They actually ended it. The, but back to sports. Wait, the back government the shutdown that, is over. Yes, <laughs> temporarily. Okay, but well, it is over. We're we're gonna stick to sports now. We're gonna stick to sports. But I thought we should break that. And yeah. y- you heard it here first. If you're posting about it, make sure to. Maybe at us, perhaps. Yeah. Because we Mu- reported first. It just happened seconds ago. Must credit the Kyle and Casano <laughs> show. It. That's it. All right, so now James Harden. Back to the things that matter. James Harden. Yeah. He scored a lot of points recently. A lot of points. I want to bring up his stat line. Madison Square Garden, Wednesday night. Guy dropped 61 points, tied for the most ever by a visiting player at the Garden. He hit 22 free throws. 22 free throws. So, and he also shot the ball, I think, 38 times. He was 17 for 38. 5 for 20 from 3. If you're shooting the ball that much with that many free throws, you should, I I should hope that you put up at least 61 at the minimum. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not really giving him, obviously he's, He's on a tremendous scoring run. I believe it's, what, like 27 games in a row of 30-plus points. He's averaging 36 points a game, which is the most since Jordan in the 90s. Um, Huge totals coming from the beard down in Houston. No one's really watching, though. Houston doesn't really have a whole lot of fans. That stadium's usually half full. Um, But, like, it's an incredible run that he's on. But I I think my favorite stat line here, like Mm -hmm. like when you talk about Harden, the next, like, he's number two, I believe now, for most consecutive 30-point games. Mm Mm-hmm. Number one, Wilt Chamberlain, 513 consecutive <laughs> games. Harden's at like 27. That's number two. We talk about records that will never be broken, whether it's Joe DiMaggio's 56-game streak, whether it's... Wayne Gretzky's points in the NHL. Wayne, Wayne, Gre- Wayne Gretzky's points in the NHL total. I think this number right here is the number that will never officially never be broken. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to imagine... Like uh, a, that, a dominance of that level uh, of Wilt. You're just not going to get it ever again. Yeah. But again, he was playing against guys like you and me, standing there holding their arms up, <laughs> hoping that the seven foot one guy would miss the dunk. Because again, he he could. That guy was so spidery, he could just reach up and just drop it in, and it would go. And he wouldn't even have to leave his feet. His arms were so long, and his legs were so long. Um, but yeah, James Harden, what a run! It's definitely the top story in the NBA right now. He's taken over. We like we have Boogie Cousins back. There's a lot going on in basketball right now. Boogie Cousins came back. Hey, did you did you see Boogie Cousins' big sob story in the Athletic? Everyone shut the doors on me, but the Warriors had to go there. Oh yeah, I- I'm sure no one would pay you more than four hundred seventy-six thousand dollars, which is what he got for the Warriors. I'm sure no one offered you any more than that amount of money. I highly doubt that. Granted, that guy's not a winner. He 
has a terrible attitude, probably is one of the least liked players in the NBA. Um, but he's so talented, and he's, he also is, again, coming off of an Achilles injury. Traditionally, especially for a guy of his size, his so, career probably will only last if averages pan out two or three more years with that injury because of the, of the recurring issues that always come up and, again, just he's, how, how large of a human he is, um, all that pressure being put on that strained Achilles. Um, but, yeah, I still would have given him that money, honestly. Like, the Celtics, we haven't had a, a great big man for years. I, I would have definitely given him that money. Um, I don't think that the Warriors are going to win this year. I think, hot take right now, the Warriors don't even make the finals this year. I'm going to come out and say it. I think something falls apart at the end of the year in terms of chemistry. Um, too many guys trying to get the basketball in the basket. Only one ball. Only one ball. It's not like baseball where you can just try out the nine best hitters and they'll all hit a home run because it doesn't matter because it can just go on <laughs> forever. There's, there's, one, there's one basket here. Um and a time limit. And a time limit. Baseball, again, just trot out those hitters over and over again. Just There's no salary cap. Well, why not? Exactly. Like, why not? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking directly to you, New York Yankees, because, again, Manny Machado and Bryce Hopper, still on the board. They're still out there. Money, like, those dollar signs are getting smaller and smaller and smaller as the days go on. Um, we don't have to get into baseball right now because it's not really... I'd actually, I'd actually like to talk about it at some point, probably next week. Probably, probably on next week's show... We'll get into it more in depth. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. Kyle and off show on iTunes, Google Play. Exactly. But yeah, the NBA is is great right now. Again, I'm, I'm not going to be fully invested in it until the Super Bowl, um, which we'll get into obviously in a minute. But yes, the NBA is still the NBA. Yep. That's going to do it for our basketball talk. When we come back, we've got the NFL, and then we'll be out of here. Just watching Coach Vance Joseph, and here he is having the time of his life. All right, and welcome back to the Kyle and Kasanoff show. We're going to finish today's show with some NFL talk. Let's start with a brief recap of the NFC and AFC championship games. Let's start in the NFC. That was the first game. Your takes. Well, a lot of people will say that these Saints should be in the Super Bowl. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I think that the Rams are deserving of the Super Bowl spot. They went down to the Dome. They fought back from a 13-0 deficit early. They couldn't get anything going. They grinded out a win late in the game. Greg the leg bangs home a 57-yard kick like it was nothing. Um, And, you know, again, like, we'll keep this recap relatively brief because, again, it's been almost a week. I'm sure you've heard all the talking points by now uh, if you are as big a sports fan as we are. Um, but this, and obviously there was a, a highly controversial non-pass interference call, which we we both saw live. Clearly it was pass interference. Not only was it pass interference, it was probably targeting as well. So there's, it, it would have been a double penalty. Um, I mean, yeah. He, he, he was not looking at the ball, just drove into him head first. Like, that's targeting. That's it was just, just what it, it is. It was straight head-to-head contact that, like— With an airborne receiver lit- who just flew like a ragdoll. Yeah. Like, an incredibly dangerous hit on its own. But then it was also the early contact as well. I just want to—I want to say this, make this as, like, a greater point. Even just, like, beyond this game, I think that NFL re- refereeing has reached a shambolic level. I don't think that there, like in my experience of watching football, there has ever been a worse season. Yep, I think it was capped off by both of these games. There was yep. bad officiating throughout. I think obviously there was it was probably more significant in in um, 
in the NFC game. The AFC yeah. game had its fair share of calls as well. But I mean, that's just like any football game at this point. It's just that's just normal news. But I think that just this season, week after week after week, there was always something. There was always something, and usually the Browns were involved, especially early in the year. They were robbed of, of a few wins. Yeah, when they were they were misspotted on first down with a review. With the that cost them a game. Right. I mean, they. It, all this is to say is that sports are unpredictable. And ultimately, if you get scored on, like, you cost yourself the game. But when you do everything right, like, get a first think, down and aren't giving it to it, then it's, you know, you share the blame. I think just honestly what it is, I think two things need to be done to fix officiating. And then I'll get back into this recap. One, mm. keep the whistle in your mouth, okay? You're, let the boys play, as they say. You are over officiating things. We don't need as many calls. I think I think calls they hurt the flow of the game. All these random replay reviews. At the end of the day, just keep it in your mouth. When in doubt, don't blow the whistle. If it if it's if it's a fifty fifty play, keep like just keep it in your mouth. I think everyone would be happy then. And you could always call back. You're saying sure. If need be, the head referee can come down and overrule and throw a flag. When in doubt, I'd keep it in your mouth. Number two, I think replay review needs to be expanded for the 2019 season to, ex- to include pass interference plays. Because there were several key calls this season, not including the NFC game. I'm looking back to the Saints versus Steelers game, week 16, when there was the really controversial pass interference in the end zone between Joe Hayden and Alvin Kamara, mm-hmm. where Joe Hayden literally jumped up straight in the air behind Kamara, playing the ball that was going to launch 20 feet over his head, an uncatchable ball for those of you of you football fans out there, and they called a pass interference, gave the Saints the ball at the one-yard line, and they scored a crucial touchdown. A, and it was a game that essentially eliminated the Steelers from the playoffs. So a hugely, a hugely conse- consequential call. I think it wouldn't be that difficult to include pass interference, and I think with those two things in mind, heading into the 2019 season, we, can, we won't have to have this, this discussion again come January 2020. Here's the question. Here's the co- I'm not going to disagree with that. But necessarily, but I'm going to ask a question, which is number three. Hold on, number three. Okay, okay. Before I let you come in, number three, roughing the passer. I think honestly, do away with that dumb rule that you included last year with the Aaron Rodgers thing, driving him into the ground, and also lighten up with the head and shoulder contact thing. That play on Tom Brady in the AFC game when he whacked him on the on the on the shoulder, mind you. That's not pass interference. I, I think, mean I mean I mean I think that was on. missed. I think that they thought he hit, got him in the face mask. But even if he did, what what's the big deal? I think that that should not be allowed. Come on. You're you're going to play the ball and you accidentally hit him in the head? Yeah, but this isn't a this league is football. that football. It's a man sport. But this is a league that wants to protect its quarterback because people don't like football when it's Chad Henney playing at quarterback. I'm sorry. I would rather have that happen, then give a team a first down on third and long because that happens. Like, that happened way too many times this year. Okay, I am. I understand that you might like that, but the league doesn't like that because the league likes Tom Brady in Sunday Night Football. Yeah, so well, Tom Brady's wants- played 16 years healthy before they instituted this stupid rule. So, like, I, I would say that it really wasn't up to a lack of a rule that led to these injuries, to be quite honest with you. How many quarterbacks miss games from stupid s- stuff like that? Not many. Maybe Derek Carr. Every other year, but like most quarterbacks are able to avoid injury, I would say, especially from plays like that. I mean, I I, I agree with you, I understand, but I want to get back to this pass. Quarterback interference, is so. probably the safest position out there, I would say at this point. I want to get back to pass interference. The question that I have with it is how it's a completely subjective call, essentially, right? Because what I see as a catchable ball, you might not see as a catchable ball. 
what you know fans of X team see as catchable, fans of Y team might not. How do you review something that's completely subjective? Is it just saying to the referee, look, you get 30 seconds of you know replay and you can decide to change your mind if you want? Because unlike a catch, for example, which there is a lot of controversy about what is a catch, what isn't a catch, there are some guidelines which are clear and explicit, right? Which can definitively say this is a catch or definitively well, say this isn't a catch. Well, does have its fair share of guidelines. You have to be playing the ball. There's a there's a such thing called incidental contact. Okay, right, right. But but who is decision? But it's it's about the fact that a lot of those are subjective, right? Like saying whether or not someone is holding a football, for example, is like basically factual, right? Like basically factual is like is it in their hands? Like you know are the, or is it like bobbling around? Like that's basically a fact that can be proven by video, right? But also a deciding fact that, a fact that could be proven by video is a replay review on the Nickel Roby Coleman hit. That's a fact. Okay, I agree with early. you, but not all of them are that egregious. And particularly, what I wonder about is not in ones like that. Obviously, that everyone knows it should have been called. Like that's not a debate, really. That's just like they messed up. Okay, they messed up. Everyone knows it. I think it's more than just they messed up because this is the NFC Championship and that was a key play. I think it's honestly like like people who say that are are letting the NFL get off with this and they're letting them ride into the sunset here. No, but what I want to – my point is that for like a play, for example, when pass interference is called and you think that it should be called back so you throw your challenge flag – well, just because you, a coach, thinks it should be called back, and maybe even you have a legitimate case, like what's that? I, what's I that personally, s- as a coach, even if the even if it was up to review, would never throw a challenge flag for a, for a pass interference because of what you just said. It's so subjective. It's so not why like, even review it. So you just want to challenge for pass interference? No, 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 no. I mean, like it it wouldn't be a thing that necessarily you could challenge. It would be a booth review. They're el- it is eligible for the booth to review, much like touchdown calls. Yeah. It would say it's a pa- – like a pass interference is called in the play, automatic booth review for like 10, 15 seconds. Well, so here's what bothers me about that, right? Now you're kind of taking it out of the hands of the referees on the field. I'm fine with that. They don't know what they're doing anyway. You know? Like, like that is exactly what we want. <laughs> I don't want refs in the NFL. It, if there was such a thing, obviously it's imp- – Obviously, it's an impossible game to referee because of how subjective all the calls are practically. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're taking some of the power away from the refs, I think that's a step in the right direction, quite frankly. Because the last two years have seen so many good referees retire, whether it's Gene Steratore or Ed Hockley. Two of the most well-respected refs in the league, now they're gone and, they, and there's a, a bunch of guys out there like Walt Coleman, guys who I've never heard of before. Um, and guys who clearly have no idea what they're doing. But regardless, Drew Brees threw a pick in, in overtime and s- set the Rams out for that field goal. So really, sh- I mean, I, I think the Rams should still be in the Super Bowl, but it was a terrible call. I saw this on Twitter. What if NFL, what if NFL overtime was college overtime, but you had to play with your backup quarterbacks? Your thoughts? Like, what if it was on Brian Hoyer to get the the Patriots to the Super Bowl? Well, like, what would be the point of that? Like, what f- – from a fan's perspective, who wants to see Brian Hoyer leading his team to the – I don't – no. No, I, I, I don't like college overtime rules either. And, like, we can get into overtime in a minute because, obviously, it played a huge factor in both games. But I don't actually see a problem with the current overtime rules. I think Patrick Mahomes sh- 
should have gotten the ball. I think if you score a touchdown on the opening drive, like the other team sh- should get a chance to rebuttal. Why? That's how it works. Why? What do you mean why? It's fair. It's only fair. Like why? Like why not? Is the answer. Because it, you have a long. It's, it's unfair that a coin toss could could decide the outcome of that game. It's not unfair because you knew when the Pages won that coin toss that they were going to win the game. It was a guarantee. Yep. I could have turned the TV off mm-hmm. and gone to bed knowing that the Pages were going to win that game. Yep. Because they always do. But Patrick had the overtime rules been different, and Patrick Mahomes could have gotten the ball, we could still be playing that game right now. At the way those offenses were churning up the field. Like, we could still be playing. Here's the problem. is that the defense has an opportunity to make a stop. So make a stop. Hold them to a field goal, and well, then you get your rebuttal. Th- I mean, that that is why the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs was fired. Uh, yeah. I make mean, a stop. That's what I say. But a coin toss should not decide the outcome of the game, and in that game it did. Why? I, I think that's if, not If fair. the Chiefs had won. Why, how is it that you can kick a field goal, but they can come back and kick a field goal? But but if you score a touchdown, they can't come back and score a touchdown. Like, why, 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 is, why can't it go both ways? Because a field goal is can typically considered a stop, right? You, like, coaches say hold them to three, right? When they're coaching their their defensive line, for example, right? Say we'll hold them to three, and then we'll get the offense back on the, the field, is, and they'll score a touchdown, well, and we'll win. What I want to ask you is why why is there even a clock in overtime? That I don't understand. Actually, what is the point of that? I, I don't know. There really shouldn't be a clock because ties I, I would say are bad for the NFL. Like th- you well, should play until someone wins. Untimed. We are. You should have a play clock, but it should be un- like overtime should be untimed. We're noted as big tie guys. We may be big tie guys. The NFL is not is clearly not big tie guys. Here's my okay. Can I make a suggestion for overtime rules? Sure. Okay. Must score a touchdown to win, right? So just the first team to score a touchdown wins, right? But you only get three downs. Okay. So, like, essentially getting rid of that field what goal What if we just down. did no punting? No, 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 no. Here's just my... Ban punting. Here's my next idea, though. Ready? This is the crucial one. For every change of possession in which you don't score, you lose a player off the field. Hmm. Okay, so it starts 11 on 11. You don't score... You defend eleven on ten, and it's one on one. They don't the left guard <laughs> versus the free safety or something like that, <laughs> right? If the, and then if that team doesn't score a touchdown, it's ten on ten, and just keep the keep it rolling. But I think if it if it ended up one on one, no one would win. Yeah, but how? But how likely are you like to not to? How likely are you to not have a winner when it's if it's three on three? Or even if it even if it was like seven on six, like I think I don't think it would ever get to one on one. Yeah, you never know. And if it did, how awesome would Teams that like be? Teams like the Cardinals do exist. I don't, yeah, I don't, but that implies that the Cardinals, when they have only two players, three players, four players, are not going to get scored on. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm, I, I see, I see where you're coming from. Like, my, like, my answer is just a much simpler one that just take away the clock. I just don't think that you would ever get past, like, maybe, like, 10 on 9. I don't think you would ever get past that. How do you decide who you're going to take off the field, though? It's coach's call. Well, what if it's random? No, no, no. That that's ridiculous. Quarterback has to lead the field. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. Like the coaches should get to decide that, but who do you take off though? Say you're a coach mm-hmm. of the defensive team. Of the defensive team. Wait. Also, how does that work though? Because if you don't score, mm. re- there will always be eleven guys on defense. No. 
Well, because you just said if you like every possession that you don't score, so you're the offensive team, you don't score, take off a guy. Uh, other team goes, they don't score, take off an offensive guy. There's always eleven guys on. No, defense. no, no. But your your number goes down, right? So like, if you don't score in the first on round, offense. you get. No, no, your number like of. If you don't score on the first drive, you are allowed to have 10 players on the field, regardless oh, of the situation, okay, okay, right? Okay, I see what you're and then if they don't score, they're allowed to have 10 players on the field. And then if you don't score, nine players on the field. And then I would imagine that once you get to like 10 on nine, where the offense is up, 10 like by a player, I would imagine that you'll find the game ends there. I see what you're saying, honestly. Like it, it is. I think I think that's a better idea. Than By the way, that. also that would give teams motivation to defer the kick in overtime because the team that goes second would always be the team that has the opportunity to be man up on offense, mm. and could would only be evens on defense at worst. Ooh, interesting. I like where this is going. Honestly, I think it's not my worst idea. I like where this is going. Now we're gonna move on to the AFC game. Yeah. Obviously, the Pats. They're back. We said. It was never in doubt. Never in doubt. I I was getting a little worried there at the beginning of the second half. Yeah, I was too. But I if I, if we you know to peel back the curtain, I kept just texting you. Not worried. Still not worried. Not worried. And I you was, know what? I was in an Applebee's in Amherst, Massachusetts. And you were really not worried. Nothing is more American than that. <laughs> Nothing is more New England than that. Perhaps. Yeah, probably. In a snowstorm. In a, we still made it to Applebee's. The crowd that was in Applebee's is exactly what you would expect <laughs> for a Sunday evening in Amherst, Mass, in a blizzard. Um, yeah, it was. I, I was honestly, I, I was not worried at the end. Like there was, like the Michelle touchdown on fourth down, um, the Burkhead touchdown. Like those were two play. Like both Burkhead touchdowns, obviously, like the, the late fourth quarter one and the. Game winning one in overtime. All three of those, we were up and down, running around the bar, screaming yeah. our heads off. Like, like it was such a great game to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm so, like, this is so. I don't. It's just great to be a champion. Uh, I, I would consider myself to be a champion, and yeah. it's just it's great to be from New England. This is this is what I say to everyone who are like who they're like like man the Patriots are so boring, and I just say look. Winning has it's not like the never NBA. gets old. It's not like the NBA. No, no, it's, it doesn't even matter. Patriots didn't build this to look like I, I don't. I I would say like people would say like they're tired of the Patriots being in, just like just like they're tired of the Warriors and Cavs being in. It's not like that. It's it, not like it's that, only no. one game. It's only one game. But my 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 greater point is just that like as a fan, like going to every like sitting down to watch every game. And just having that confidence, like oozing through your veins, like no matter what you do, you will not lose. And then at the end of the game, when you always win, basically, not always, but essentially, like that feeling, like that fun never diminishes. If anything, the more the Patriots have won, the more fun I have had. Right. Like I think my I think my fun is only increasing. I I'm not getting tired of seeing Tom Brady like. Just march down the field and for a game-winning drive, like that will never get old to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and like honestly, like sports are the best. The Patriots are the only team that I've followed or cared about in any major way. Really, that's not really true. But they're the only real team. The to Patriots, win. yeah. Not the Rangers. The Rangers have not won in my lifetime. Not even my lifetime. Not even just when I was a fan. Well, didn't you say that that the, they're the only team that you've really paid attention to? And followed religiously. No, but I mean the, the Patriots are. But no, I'm not, no, I mean like 
the Patriots are the only team that have one of the teams that I follow. Oh, that's interesting. And like, yeah, that's just part of being from New York. Teams don't I'm win. I'm not from New York. I'm from the, Connecticut. The New York metro area, same thing. Look, yeah. Sorry, New York. I know I know we're a, a radio show in the public interest, but you guys really don't have the best luck when it comes to sports. I'm sorry. I, I genuinely feel bad for you. I'm not offended. I think that's going to do us for today's show, honestly. Hold on, no. We need to do two things. One, Super Bowl pick. Who you got? In case we're not on the air next week, it's still up in the air. Okay, okay. Stay tuned, listeners. But Super Bowl pick, in case we don't get on the air, go. With the score. I'd, oh, with the score? Uh, Patriots, obviously. And I, I want to elaborate on this. It's not just fandom. It's the fact that Bill Belichick with two weeks to prepare, even though the Rams are good, even though Sean McVay is smart too, he's not experienced. And and uh, Bill Belichick will pull out plays that were being used before Sean McVay was even alive and use them against him. And like Score prediction? Score prediction. I'm gonna say I think it's gonna be a high scoring affair. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 31 20. 31 20. Double digits. I'm going Pats as well. I'm going a shootout. I'm going 34 31. Um now the second thing, just before we go, last thing. Who's retiring at the end of this game, if anyone? Uh if the if the Patriots win, Tom and Gronk walk into the sunset, Belichick sticks around. If the Patriots lose, I don't think anyone goes. Maybe Gronk, but I don't think anyone goes. I think Gronk's gone regardless, just like you. Mm-hmm. But I think, and I, you know what? I'm completely on the same page as you. I think Belichick stays regardless. Yep. Brady's gone if they win, but stays if they lose. Mm-hmm. Gronk's gone regardless, is what I'm thinking. It's just that he's not the same. Like, you watch him out there and he's... <laughs> but I have to say, though, I was on my feet yelling every time he caught the ball. I don't care if it was for seven yards. It seemed like every single catch just meant that much more to me as a fan and definitely to him. Yeah. It just meant that much more seeing him active and being a part of the offense. I mean, making the, these, huge, the, these incredible catches. The biggest thing about Gronk is that, like, despite the fact that he can, like, barely move, he's still considered probably the Patriots' best receiver and when they throw him the ball and when he needs it, and like when he needs to make a grab, he always does it. He always does. But by the way, I think that Julian Edelman is legitimately going to go into the Hall of Fame as a third down pass catcher from Tom Brady. I think he might go into the Hall of Fame regardless. I mean, I think he's number two in receiving yards as a, in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. And it, and if he wins this year, he'll be a three-time Super Bowl champion. Does he retire alongside Gronk and Brady if, no, like he he's thirty two. Ah, uh, I think he has like I mean, two I years mean, left on his deal. I mean, deal, you just though. have to think as a receiver. Yeah, who like when your quarterback leaves, especially a quarterback who is so intrinsically linked to him, like yeah. like Brady and, and Edelman are, and you're going to be thirty three next year. Yeah, you've had your fair share of injury and here's my serious question. Other issues. I know we said we would go, but one more one more question. We just love football. Last question. Yeah, we love football. How does Julian Edelman make $4 million a year and Larry Fitzgerald comes back to a garbage team and makes $16 million a year? Um, that's because... Like, is Belichick, like, handing out, like, duffel bags of cash, like, under the I mean, table? Isn't Brady making, like, $8 million a year? Something like that? I think he's making, like, tw- uh, like twenty. Or- no, he, no, he's not even close to twenty. He's not even... He's, he's not a top ten maker, earner among he's, quarterbacks. Yeah, he's not a top ten. I don't... I, it's more just like I don't I don't get that. I just Cuz he's a winner. That's what they are. Fitzgerald 
is a winner. He's he's the ultimate winner if he had a chance. But he just doesn't get that chance, so why not just make as much money as you can? And with that, we're going to end there. Stay tuned. We'll, we should try. Tom Brady makes $15 million. Fifteen. That's, yeah. that's a lot less than he's owed, but r- regardless. Again, our listeners, stay tuned. We might be putting out an episode next week. Um, unsure yet. We'll see what we get what we can get for studio time. Otherwise, stay tuned for post-Super Bowl. We'll be back to our regular schedule, and we'll let you guys know what that is for the next semester soon. Thank you all for listening. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.